between you and Biggie was like, who's going, who's going, who rules the, the, the nigga kingdom and shit, basically, you know what I'm saying? I was like, this is like a fucking it is, election. It's an election it is that. shit, you know what I'm saying? Me and Biggie's situation is smaller than that. Me and Biggie's situation is like... Coming up on Verse Course Verse. When the question is asked, who is the best rapper of all time? Typically, not always, but typically one of two rappers is said. We are going to talk about one of those rappers tonight. Welcome to Verse Course Verse. I am DL. It is episode 109. And with me is Sven Thug Life Knutson. Sven, how are you? Picture perfect. Picture perfect. Sven, who's your favorite rapper of all time? Um, Curtis Plum. Okay, perfect. I like it. That was easy. That's our show, everybody. Have a good <laughs> night. <laughs> I wish you all could see Sven right now. He is living the thug life. He's got the bandana facing okay. the right direction. What, is that an NWA shirt? Yeah, He's, LA. Oh, Boys in the Hood. Oh, Ice Cube. Boys in the Hood. He's got a 40. You have an old school looking 40. This is the rarest wait, 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 wait. beverage not, in suburban white America. We're not here. We're not there yet. I know, but still, you, you brought it up. You're right. You know what? Let's just do it. We're one minute in. It's time. Most important part of the night. I'm intrigued. <laughs> Sven, what are you drinking? It's a 40. But it's but you know me, I can't cheat on my true love. So it's a forty. Oh, it's a peeber. It's the only glass bottle that has forty ounces of alcoholic beverage in it that I could find. Because the Steel Reserve malt liquor is it's forty-two, 42. and it's a plastic and bottle. it gets you drunk. You can't have plastic bo- like. Did you drink that too? today i couldn't do the whole thing man it just got gross so i switched to ipas actually i'm like my third ipa and then i was like you know what i'm gonna chase it all down with this giant pbr later i once played edward 40 hands with steel reserve what is it high gravity high velocity so high gravity yeah yeah it's like 8.7 percent it was the first and only time that i played edward 40 hands and it was the biggest mistake of my life and i've made a lot of mistakes (laughs) in my life (laughs) yeah it's a gross one man yeah i have a beer here i have a red bull i have some water but it's not like it's a big secret what we're talking about tonight but i am drinking hennessy if you are talking about this artist hennessy better be involved one way or another in your episode and we are talking about the one the only tupac you know, I've um, always wondered why we try to kind of sort of keep it a secret because anyone that passed elementary school can read the fucking description <laughs> and the title the of the episode. The headline, the Instagram promo, <laughs> the what are we talking about next week? It's we say it 18 times. If you're a listener and you got this far into any of our episodes and you didn't know who we were about to talk about, like con- like that's that just made me so happy because that just means that you just subscribed yeah. and you just listened no matter what. Unless you subscribe and you hate rap and then you're like oh, oh man uh, fast forward subscribe to-, to us and hate rap <laughs> there's got to be a good amount of our listeners that are the indie rockers that just don't like rap but this is going to be about rap but it's not going to be about rap yeah there is so much to there's talk about there with tupac is. right i can't wait to really dive in but we got business first right this is you and i's first episode of season three we did one already with the gang the whole gang was there we talked about one song a piece 
That was like that was very fun. Five hours long. Lots of drinks were involved. Hit us up on Instagram. Maybe you'll be the next uh, listener supported, <laughs> and you can come experience it yourself. Yeah, I mean, I think landslide alone took us about yeah. an hour. Well, and we, yeah, I think the song selection just opened the door for it to spiral down a bunch of rabbit holes and everything. Which means we picked the right songs, right? Yeah, we did. <laughs> yeah. Except that craziness that you picked. That- I can't believe that you don't love that. It is jazz fusiony. It's weird because I don't, I don't like hate it, but I, I also it's hard to listen to for whatever weird reason. And I even like some like it's I I like got you hip to Harry yeah. Parch, and but it's very. Like, I don't know why Black Midi is such very, a stretch for me. I don't know what's going on, Sven. What is going on with you? Oh, clearly I don't know what's going on with me. <laughs> what we are doing this year. The very first season, Sven and I did a bunch of stuff, just he and I. The second season, Sven and I's episodes were based around one big, giant, classic album. We started with Thriller, which is the highest selling album of all time. And this year, Sven wanted to concentrate more on one specific person per episode. Oh, God, this was my fault, wasn't it? It was. Well, it kind of was. I think what you had in mind and what I think we'll do after this one, some random guitar player like Andre Segovia or some bass player like a Stefan Lassard. But you had also made the mistake last year saying, when are we going to talk about All Eyes on Me? So I was like, yeah. well, guess who our first artist is going to be? Talk them all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, then after this, we're going to have to do the other one at some point. Actually, shit, we are. <laughs> we can't. Yeah, we can't do Pac and not do Biggie. and then not flip around. And That's I mean, true. we'll start another East Coast West Coast. Shit, you're absolutely right. What's insane is that I didn't think of that. That's all I've been thinking about this week. Is like after this, I'm gonna have to go and just marathon all of Biggie's albums just to balance myself out. Let's get this out of the gate. Then, are yeah. you more Biggie than Tupac? They are very different things to me. I agree. I think once we get into talking about lyrics and flow and sound, I'll probably elaborate more. I'll touch a little bit on Biggie at that time, too. A little bit more about what I think each of their strengths were. It sounds like... And why I like each for that. This is going to go well, because it sounds like you and I have very similar... It seems like you have similar ideals that I do about those two. I think we approach music in general pretty similarly. I think so, too. Yeah, we're talking Tupac. This isn't a, although I am going to probably, but this isn't just a let's pick an artist and just bow to their knees the whole episode. We want to talk about their life. We want to talk about the good. We want to talk about the heinous. We want to talk about, that's my big thing that I'm concentrating on personally this year is I'm tired of just ignoring all the shady shit. I don't feel like that's fair. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that makes somebody like a Tupac so interesting and so likable is probably the wrong word, but he was so flawed. Oh shit. He's, he's got more contradictions than the Bible. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we found our promo soundbite. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) That's the sort of stuff that I want to talk about. That's the sort of stuff that's interesting. And Tupac Holy shit. He is a very good guy to talk about. Through this whole conversation tonight, I think we're going to talk a lot about just being human, Mm. ultimately, Mm -hmm. what that kind of means, too. He held up a mirror to a lot of society. Yep. We're going to dig deep into all of this, but like, just at, you know, the 10,000 foot level, it's kind of like, it's like if you could watch 
human evolution and fast forward kind of or like the evolution <laughs> of like um I, I know exactly what you you're know saying. yeah <laughs> yeah so i will ask you this then categorize this as far as what it was like to study for was it fun was it hard was it interesting was it holy shit i didn't know that and i should have it was draining because it was like a roller coaster earlier i messaged you being like doing this episode is gonna feel like an emotional roller coaster yeah because <laughs> it's like every feeling i felt at the whole range of human emotion it's a pretty big catalog of music if you count everything which he did a that's lot that's something else i want to talk about and, and then even if you start digging into the stuff he guested on other oh my people's god stuff, he, i didn't listen to a ton but i like i went through he never said no to anybody it, it's so much that guy lived in right, the yeah. studio. Yeah. Any opportunity to be on the mic that helped make him who he was is that any amount of time that he could be on that microphone. Yes. I very much agree. You have a very, very interesting past correlating with this artist. So when did your relationship with Tupac start? When did you become a fan? If you would call yourself a fan, what's your fandom with Tupac and where does it come from? Yeah, that's where I, I probably dance around a little yeah. bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when Tupacalypse Now came out, I was still a bit too young. Like his first album. Yeah, that was a long time ago. It was a lot. I was 91. Like, you were like, what, seven years old? I was like, yeah, I was, yeah. Like, I was definitely not listening to Tupac when I was seven or eight years old or whatever. <laughs> Pussy. <laughs> <laughs> it was probably more of a, a access problem. <laughs> than anything else. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I'm pretty sure we, there was not even a store in town that sold Tupac albums or rap. In 91? Like, I'm not sure you could have even gotten it anywhere in Idaho. No, like, Boise I think you'd have, you'd have been driving for eight hours. But when I first kind of really got into it, it was probably 2001, 2002. I remember Until the End of Time was still relatively fresh. I think Better Days had already come out. Mm-hmm. I was kind of live in a sort of shady life anyway. By this point, the part of Boise, Idaho, and, and I know some folks out there are not going to believe this exists in Boise, Idaho, but like I was living in uh, the shittiest apartment complex. They had a swimming pool that no one swimmed in. Drunk people would end up wrecking their cars into the swimming pool. You'd wake up <laughs> in the morning and there'd just be like this, this 70s guy something. named Sven <laughs> Buick. crashed into the pool. <laughs> like through the fence, <laughs> nose down into the swimming kid you not you'd wake up to gunshots sometimes and it wasn't like living inner city so i'm not trying to paint that picture i i definitely don't compare it to that but mm -hmm. for my experience up to that point it was it was still pretty rough and i didn't have a real real job my income was and that's how me and a small group of guys paid the bills can you name them first name and last yeah. please <laughs> 2002, 2003, probably. The, the most legitimate job that I had at the time, I was DJing and pouring drinks at a strip club. One of the cocktail waitresses there uh, and I became really good friends. And I remember that before work and after work, we would just drive around for hours in her Mitsubishi Eclipse. Oh, wow. With like the two 12-inch kicker subs in the back, blasting Tupac. Sven the cliche Knutson. Right? <laughs> I kind of idolized the lifestyle that Tupac portrayed mm -hmm. and a lot of the things that he talked about in a really incorrect way. I like, think most of us at that age, what are you, 21? I, well, you know, I was like 19. Yeah, we're all, that's exactly what all of us want to be when we're that age because we're idiots, especially the ones mm -hmm. like us. Well, like me, 
of course, the people like me that grew up in a, you know, I was poor, but it's not like I was in East LA. Fucking yeah. neither of us are from ghetto. Exactly. Right? Yeah. We're not from housing projects. So it's super easy to fantasize about living the quote unquote thug life. Right. When you get to kind of dip a pinky in. Wanting to emulate some of that and already being kind of living between the legitimate and illegitimate. Yeah. It was really easy to just go head first into that. And then, of course, everybody that I was selling to, you know, hanging out with, partying with, everybody was doing the same type of shit. Mm -hmm. At that time, the Tupac I would listen to was really like one-sided you skipped the you know you skip changes and you listen to ballad of a dead soldier well you never skip changes but like <laughs> this one makes good, me feel yeah. like yep you can live like this and you, you give back and you're still a good person that was like the redemption gotcha. it's hard to really put it to words the feeling and the thoughts that were going through my head the thoughts were also really messed up because i was on a lot of substances mm -hmm. most of the time going days without sleeping yeah not the healthiest and proudest moments in my life but that was kind of when I first got into Tupac. Obviously, that world I was in came crashing down. Yeah. No one can maintain that lifestyle forever. And it came crashing down pretty horrifically one day. In the, the aftermath of that, trying to put myself back together, it was weird. I spent like 187 days incarcerated. During that time, I think is when I started discovering a lot of his other messages. Mm -hmm that weren't just bitches and money. Yeah. And then started just kind of backing away from, not like I was ashamed or didn't want to listen to Tupac anymore or thought that it was a bad influence. I just started finding other things to get back into. And like going back to some of the things I was doing in like high school, mm -hmm. getting back into more jazz and funk. And, and I, I still listen to hip hop, but maybe just not gangster rap anymore. Um, yeah. I think at some point, everybody kind of started to grow out of it is the wrong word, but we all kind of started to find something different something that maybe was more grounded in my actual reality and not a fantasy reality that i had was living in my head yeah i don't want to spoil this conversation because it's a conversation we're going to have in this episode but a lot of the late 90s early 2000s hip-hop aged terribly and so yeah. there is a lot of stuff that once it got to about 2005 all of us were like, oh, this is pretty terrible messaging <laughs> Super here. Super horrible. Yeah. Yeah. We'll touch on that later. You know, what's funny is I'd always liked Tupac. Same as you. I didn't really listen to very much hip hop when I was in high school. I was obsessed with musicianship. I wanted stuff with instruments in it. It wasn't until I was in the military where I was surrounded with people that listened to only hip hop that I got really into everything. And my best friend at that time, he listened to three different artists and one of them was Tupac. This was my roommate. I did everything with him. We did our trainings together, everything. So I listened to Tupac three-fourths of the days out of a year for three years. And those were really pivotal years for me. So Tupac means a whole hell of a lot to me. Mm -hmm. Not just the messaging and who he was, which once you start to figure out and understand, he's so fucking relatable. Yeah. And that's what I love about him. But also just the nostalgia thing, just specific songs make you think of, oh, remember when I did this and did this. So there's a lot of that with Tupac for me. Yeah, it actually sounds like both of us have quite a big history with this artist. For sure. So it fits. Yeah. Let's get into Tupac right after we come back. We're going to take a break. See you guys. Peace. <laughs> 
How is it? I've taken like so many drinks and it's still. <laughs> it's almost like there's 40 ounces of it. We are back. Let's talk about Tupac Amaru Shakur, born in 1971 in New York City. The messaging and who he was started at birth with his parents. His mom, I'm going to focus on her more than, because, I mean, his dad. His dad was, was a deadbeat. He was, yeah. His mom, Afeni, was a member of the Black Panthers, right? A high-ranking member uh, as a yeah. female, which was unheard of. That's how prominent and powerful she yeah. was. There's some good articles and biographies about her life that I know we're not here to talk about her, but it's pretty fascinating how she got into that. It is. Did you know that there is a documentary on Tupac's mother that is coming out in spring on Hulu? Oh, shit. We should have scheduled this for after that came out, but... Yeah. You know, she, she used to sit on the stoop dreaming. She'd go to work, not really finding anything, and... Ended up... Oh, shoot. Now I got to look up his name. Who? His dad? Billy Garland? No. The Black Panther dude that was like... He was the voice. Fred Hampton. Is that who? No. Maybe it was Fred Hampton. She was a frustrated black woman who felt trapped in this life. She'd go to work. There's really nothing for her. Frustrated at the social situation. Didn't know how to do anything about it. And then she heard Bobby Spiel... Bobby Seal talk. She heard Bobby Seal spiel. (laughs) and i think that gave her a sense of purpose she joined the black panthers rose through the ranks she was involved in some like terrorist shit and stuff she went to jail for like bombing a police station right or conspiracy conspiracy too yeah fbi put together this whole case where they started digging into like conspiracy to bomb all these different retail outlets and police centers in white communities Mm -hmm. so she was a violent activist, very passionate yeah. about the cause, and went to jail several times. She went to jail, got bailed out, but when she was out on bail, another police station got attacked, and so her bail was revoked. She went back to jail. This time, she was pregnant with Tupac. Because she was pregnant, that was why she could survive prison, because the conditions were horrible. You didn't get real food. There weren't any toilets. They wouldn't give female inmates toilet paper, like just basic Jesus. life shit. What prison was this? Was it this was, in New York? Yeah. Jesus. Because she was pregnant, she got a glass of milk and an egg every day. Good God. Actual real food, because no one got real food. That is how she survived jail. So in a weird way, her and Tupac's relationship on another mother-son level, I mean, it wasn't just that she carried... I mean, he kind of helped her get through before he was even born, right? Mm -hmm. And I think you see that circle back around. She eventually had a crack addiction. They moved to Baltimore to get away from New York. Baltimore was a shitty place. It was, you know, became the murder capital of the country just as bad as what they were trying to get away from. So she sends Tupac off to California. He goes there to live with his, I think it was like an uncle or a family friend. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't any better. Like he just ended up living with alcoholics in another ghetto. Yeah. Meanwhile, she gets addicted to crack. And you hear that in some of his lyrics. He he talks about it. Yeah. While he's out there trying to figure out who he is and what he's going to do with his life. She had passed on to him this same 
passion for social justice and equality and yeah. that fire, you hear it all over Tupacalypse now. Absolutely. Like when we get into the, that, the albums, that was his message when he first came out. He found a platform. He was an artist and he felt yeah. all that emotion that you have to feel as a true artist artist when they moved to baltimore she had him go i think it was 10th grade she had him switch over to the baltimore school for arts prestigious art school very he was being bussed in from a very poor neighborhood to this ballet acting he's in like shakespeare he's doing all this stuff and then going back to the ghetto there's very old footage of him that's pre-digital underground pre all that stuff in baltimore and he is He's effeminate. Yeah. He looks like he's in fucking ballet. Yeah. I think this starts my whole thesis on this is that Tupac was a character that he, you know, (laughs) there's method acting. And then there's somebody like Tupac that just decides I am going to live this character until I die. That's so crazy because right here in my notes, the first line is he was one of the best method actors, period. (laughs) Yeah. Because it was his whole life. Yeah. he even said it when he got into legal trouble, media was hounding him for answers on camera. He's like, people always get confused. Like, my art is my art. It's not my real life. Mm-hmm. Can't remember the words he used, but kind of like, yeah, kind of just like, this is a character. This is my art. Yeah. People drag that into the court like it's my real life. Now, I mean, he did end up doing a lot of those that's things. That's why I say he's the best method actor. Yeah. It's like he went through with the whole lifestyle. Absolutely. And there was two things that I think he wanted out of life. The pursuit of money and the pursuit of social justice. And he found that in order to get a platform for that, he needed to be really authentic to this yeah. thug life role. Exactly, yeah. And so he lived it in order to meet those two goals. But he also did a really good job of redefining, or trying to, I should say. I'm not sure if he did a good job of it, but he tried. And the people that actually paid attention, I think it was a factor, and that is that he kind of redefined what being a thug was. When you hear thug life, you think dudes in bad neighborhoods that go around selling drugs and shooting each other. That's not what thug life was. For Tupac, thug life was being proud of the fact that you were from the ghetto. You did have history of dealing drugs to survive. And what's the line from, I think it might be changes. Stomach hurts, so I'm looking for a purse to snatch. Realizing that that's not right and trying to do something about it, being proud of being black and the way that you are having to earn money in this country and that you are succeeding. Mm -hmm. Because that was society's big thing right now is you had Tipper Gore and Dan Quayle and all these people saying that these black people that we've kept down for so long are finding a way to make money and the way they're making money is very dirty. He was saying, you did this. (laughs) This is thug life. And the other side too is you don't back down. No matter what, if you're in mortal danger, you still don't back down you Mm -hmm. don't give a fuck i'll take the consequences i'm not stepping backwards it's always persistently pushing forward it's a stubborn mentality i think it echoes the whole malcolm x by any means necessary yeah thug life was kind of like his any means necessary we're not here to ask anymore Mm -hmm. we're just gonna take and do tupac was shot a total of nine times yeah how many people yeah how many people do that and live as long as he did in 1994 he got shot five Five. fucking times and he lived twice he lived yeah it's really hard to take people like Ja Rule seriously when somebody like yeah. Tupac exists. Yeah. You know, like, it yeah. really is. And this is something that for those of you that are what under the age of 
30. You might not even know what East versus West Coast means. Ooh. For those of us that were around in the the mid to late 90s, that was massive. It was crazy because really it was a beef between two people. There were some rappers that were just pissed off that like this was even a thing. No, this is yeah. a Biggie and Tupac thing. Don't make this like a coast versus coast thing, but it that's what it became yeah. because which it was really more a P Diddy and Suge Knight thing, yeah, than it even was a Tupac and Biggie thing. The, the Tupac and Biggie thing, I think both Suge Knight and Sean Combs, whatever he was, he now Diddy. <laughs> I don't know what he, Ooh, yeah, I don't but fucking know. Those two men are capitalists, they're opportunists, they saw capital they're like we can make a fortune off of these two dudes taking shots mm -hmm. at each other they did they did boy did they i mean the shooting in that recording lobby the lobby of the recording studio he got shot five mm -hmm. times forty thousand dollars of jewelry jack in 1994 and he somehow still made it to the studio and here's puff daddy and biggie and their whole entourage just like shocked to see him mm -hmm. i think that messed him up in the head he was at the time also defending himself in court against sexual assault charges that he maintained that he was innocent from, yeah. Yeah, right? He had a lot going on in his head. In 1994, around the same time, he also was accused of sexually assaulting a fan who had come back to a party with his whole entourage. To the day he died, Tupac denied that it happened. He was charged. He was tried. He was convicted. But he was let out on bail for appeal and the appeal process. He did end up winning the appeal. Mm -hmm. So I don't know where that stands. I don't know if you are the type of person who is listening that is innocent until proven guilty, but he was proven guilty, but then that was reversed. So it's very murky. But I'll say this. He has said that he could never rape anyone. He did not rape this girl, but... There were things that happened to her at that party that should not have happened. And he does take fault for yeah. not stopping that, which to me, that is the equivalency of sexual assault. Right. If you are at a party and your buddy sexually assaults someone and you know, and you don't do anything, yeah. you are guilty. I think that was messing with his head. I think he felt guilty. I remember I too. there's a quote of him on camera saying like, I should have protected her and I didn't show up. It was exactly like that. You're right. I do. I remember that very specifically. So it happened on his watch. Not a justification for what happened, but like just trying to lay the groundwork for the mental state he was in when he got yeah. shot in that recording studio lobby. He was already shaken, already head spiraling. And then you get shot, robbed. In his eyes, I think he felt like, my friends who invited me here to record with them look really surprised that I'm still alive. Yeah. And he didn't yeah. put pieces together until after his conviction and he's sitting in jail and had a lot of time to think. And this is where I start to feel like, is he really putting facts with facts or 23 hours a day in isolation, in solitary? Was yeah. his brain just going nuts and he's just grasping at things all by himself with no way to research anything uh -huh. connecting dots because he needs to find somebody to blame he loved getting justice right he talks so much about retribution revenge and revenge and that's the sweetest that guy predicated his entire career on 
rhyming Hennessy with enemies. Right. <laughs> he really did. And I do think that a lot of it had to do with that mixed with the fact that by this time, I think he had completely bought into his own character that we talk about. Mm-hmm. He thought of himself as this invincible, I don't give a fuck, I will keep coming at you until you kill me sort of person. And I also think that, like you said, he was in prison until he wasn't. And then the first people in his ear is Suge Knight, who has proven to be one of the worst fucking human beings ever. There's no murky water there. Suge Knight is a huge piece of shit, terrible scumbag. Yeah. Yeah. And so who knows what he was telling Tupac? Because right when Tupac comes out, that's when he does the, why am I blanking up? What was the song that he did against? Hit him up. Hit him up. That was when he did hit him up. Have you seen the fucking contract that Suge Knight has? So Suge Knight goes and visits Tupac in prison and says, I will post your bail if you join Death Row Records. 1.4 mil. 1.4 mil. That's a lot of money. He holds Tupac's fate hostage. I will get you out of jail, but you are mine now. He owed him three records. Yep. And in exchange, it was, you get out of jail, and then I finance your lifestyle your property at death row and he had this fucking like wrinkled up you can see the contract online suge knight wrote it out on this shitty wrinkled up piece of paper in prison for tupac to sign and then he bailed him out and then they went and recorded all eyes on me and at this time he didn't burn bridges but a lot of the friends that he had in the industry at that time your dr dre's and your ice cubes Dr. Dre has produced, what, two songs on All Eyes on Me? He didn't want a part of it. You got California Love and then America's Most Wanted. But he didn't want a part of any of it. Those guys did not like the East versus West Coast thing at all. And Dre was trying to get out from under Death Row. I think there was a lot of people trying to get out from Death Row that signed with Suge and then realized like, Oh, this guy's this guy's fucked <laughs> this up. This guy's gonna get us like, all fucking killed. He may or may not owe the mafia millions <laughs> of dollars. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't the first time that Tupac pissed off people by what he said, and he was a loud mouth. Like the guy had a mouth and he ran it all the time. When you talk like, that much shit all the time, you're gonna say yeah, stupid shit. Back in ninety one, I mean he pissed off his entire hometown, right? Yeah. Marin talked about it like it's a jungle there was a lot of people from his hometown that did not appreciate the picture he painted of where he came from Mm -hmm. and they were pretty pissed off he went home for a homecoming thinking he was hometown hero and got met with a lot of pissed off angry and then did you do you know who rashida jones is quincy jones's daughter yeah did the comments he made about quincy jones but this is one thing that i think is the good of tupac mixed with the obviously the he would just run his fucking mouth and one of the times he ran his mouth he was talking about how we need one complete generation of black people to breed with only black people no interracial couples yeah and he specifically pointed out quincy jones yeah rashida jones quincy's daughter who was very 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 young at the time which so was tupac at the time tupac's what is he 20 21 mm-hmm. rashida jones you know from she was on the office and she's an actress but she's quincy jones daughter and she writes tupac this open very, letter oh yeah this very eloquent open letter about how misguided his thought process is And Tupac asks to meet her and has a big, long discussion about it, admits that he's completely wrong openly to the public, and they were friends till he died. That's fucking cool. Yeah. 
But he did, it didn't always end like that. No, it didn't. <laughs> the the big shit show in Marin when he went home ended up with a six year old getting shot in the forehead. Yeah, which I mean that fucked him up a lot too. And to be clear, Tupac did not shoot a kid. Just the bullet came from his gun. But yeah, it, he was in the middle of a fight on the street, and he dropped his gun, and somebody else picked it up, shot it. It hit and killed a kid. I watched a few close friend interview type things about Tupac, and a lot of people said that that specific instance, he was never the same after that happened. I don't. How could you be? How could yeah. you be? We're starting to talk about some of like the troubles. Well, not starting to. We've been talking about some of the trouble he got in, and crime, and incarceration, and. He was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Absolutely. He didn't have a criminal record until he made his first record. Mm -hmm. The incident happened with the six-year-old that got shot, and that was right after Tupacalypse Now came out. And then it was after that, he had like different yep. arrests. And all of them have really interesting yeah. stories. Was the next one after that the two cops that he shot? Right before that, he uh, took a baseball bat ah. to Chauncey Wynn's head or something like yeah. that. But then after that, yeah, the two cops, which he didn't know they were cops. No, this is an interesting story in civil rights at this time in the 90s, too. Yeah. October of 1993, he was in Atlanta driving back to his hotel after a show, saw what appeared to be two dudes beating up a third guy. He pulls over, jumps yeah. out of his he beamer. He sees two white dudes that are beating up on a black dude. Yeah. I think it's Good Samaritan it's mixed with... He's son of a Black Panther. He is not going to see two yes. white people beating up a black person and not go intervene, which you should. He yeah. goes to intervene and walks up to Mark and Scott Whitwell, two off-duty police officers out celebrating because one of their wives just passed the bar and they got a little drunk. They were leaving wherever they were coming from and almost hit somebody. Mm -hmm. And so they pulled the guy out of the car and started wailing on him. Tupac rolls up, goes and tries to stop them. These are two brothers. Mark pulls a gun on Tupac, tells him, get the fuck out of here, and smashes Tupac's window in his car. So Tupac responded by pulling out his own 9mm and popping off three shots. One hits Mark in the abdomen. Another one hits his brother Scott in the ass. And the third one didn't land. Tupac actually gets like he didn't serve time for this but he got arrested he got arrested in the hearings it slowly came out well a they were two off-duty police officers they were drunk as hell and they were in possession of firearms that they stole from Atlanta Police Department evidence yep. locker so charges were dropped for all those yeah, reasons. the gun that they pulled on Tupac was stolen from police evidence this sparked a big huge debate too and when the cops showed up it was very automatically treated like black guy shoots two white off-duty police officers, goes to prison. And it takes yeah. eight months of discovery in court to figure out, oh, actually, this was two drunk scumbags threatening a black guy. Another black guy tried to stop it. They pull a gun on him. It's yeah. fucking crazy. You know what's messed up? After charges are dropped and everything, those two brothers sued Tupac in civil court. <laughs> Tupac settled with Mark out of court. Oh my I God. couldn't find the amount that he gave him. But yeah, Tupac paid out the dude. And then the second suit, his brother Scott was trying to get $2 million from him. That ended up defaulting. I fucking hate people so much. And the only reason that like, I think it got defaulted against his estate, because Tupac was already dead by then. Dude tried suing Tupac's family, basically. <sighs> 
Tupac ends up shot and killed in 96. There's a lot of conspiracy theories. The bottom line is, is that with Tupac and Biggie, if you're a conspiracy theorist, this is ripe for all that stuff. Oh, shit. Yeah. But if you are, <laughs> I'll say it like this. If you're somebody like me, it's actually pretty black and white. It's pretty easy to read the lines. They were hanging out with people you should not hang out. They were hanging out with gangs. The night that Tupac died, what was the guy's name? Orlando Anderson. Was his bodyguard? Had beaten up somebody from the Southside Crips. Oh. And this is all the Crips. factual. Yeah. A few hours later is when Tupac's car was shot out. The prime suspect is a Southside Crip. It's very, very similar to what happened to Biggie. They were hanging out with gangs. They were beating people up in and out of gangs. They got shot by gang. But there's still a ton of... A lot of people think it was the FBI. A lot of people think that it was Biggie had his people kill Tupac. There's interviews with his cousin who was back in the hotel room because Tupac brought his cousin and girlfriend along and made them stay in the hotel. He's like, no, there's something not right. You guys stay in the hotel. They wanted to go to the boxing yeah, match right. with him. It they was, wanted to go to the fight. It was Tupac he's like, that no, did you it. can't come. Yeah. You stay in the hotel. Apparently, he went everywhere with a bulletproof vest on, and this night, he decided, I don't want the vest. His bodyguard, his crew, you need to wear the vest, and he was adamant he wasn't going to wear the vest. Again, like I feel like he's just repeating this pattern of this self-fulfilling yeah. prophecy. We talk about how method he was, about how he dove headfirst in this character. He became this character. It's actually a fascinating study in how much he just became this person. You see old, old footage, pre-Tupac footage of him speaking about women and jazz and his time doing plays. He's proud of the women in his life. And when he was trying to do the right thing in California, he met, sorry, what was the white lady's name that he lived with? Leela, Leela Steinberg. He meets Leela Steinberg in a park and they start having a conversation about Winnie Mandela and they become great friends. She becomes his manager in a way that she's basically like being a mother to him saying, okay, you need to go do this and you need to make sure this happens. Oh, yeah, that's right. She had like no no experience. Anything. And like he had to talk her into being his manager. She was a responsible adult, <laughs> yeah. which that didn't exist in that industry at that time. So she was driving them to gigs. She was making sure that they met deadlines, that they were filing paperwork, all this stuff. She was just helping. From that point on, he slowly became this person. He was so dedicated that I think this was kind of how he wanted to go out. All the songs yeah. that he's saying, you know, like Letter to My Unborn Child, and he knew he was going to die. Yeah. He knew that this was how he was going to die. I think you're right. It's all a self-fulfilling prophecy to the point that he, I don't want to say he was ready. Best method actor <laughs> ever, Yeah. period. Uh to me, there are a few different styles of rappers. There is your Biggie Smalls, who did grow up hard streets of New York, mm -hmm. hawking drugs. He lived that shit on the corner, either rapping or slinging. That's what he did. You have your DMXs that they grew up poor and violent their whole life. Their prison record proves it. And then you have your Tupacs. It's an act. It's all an act. Mm -hmm. And the only difference between Tupac and all those other guys is that he really did it. Yeah. And he did it well. 
a lot of my favorite Tupac, like you were saying, the 2001 through like three releases, Until the End of Time and Better Days and the Resurrection soundtrack, those are my favorite Tupac albums. Yeah. Stuff that was recorded for those albums before he died was when he had really most figured out his character. Yeah. I was going to build on that, but I, I don't think I can or need to because that was, he figured it out. He did. Let's talk a little bit more about the actual music and the actual songs when we get back. Drum break. Never since a nigga was a seed, only king promised to me was the penitentiary still ballin'. Riding on these niggas cause they lame in a six-one Chevy still heavy in his gang. Can you feel me? Blame it on my mama, I'm a thug nigga up before the sunrise. Quick it in the drug dealer, tell me if it's on. Nigga, then we first a bone bust on these bitch made niggas, sit him up. West side. We are back. Back. Posthumous releases. Yeah, there was more of them than, than when he was alive. Are we okay with this? Here's my perspective, and maybe I'm oversimplifying. Maybe there's more to it. When I think about it, like who recorded them, well, Tupac. Who wrote all the, the words? Tupac. They're his words. Who delivered it? Who got in front of Tupac? He was alive when they got recorded. At least the first one, he probably shot, saw it all the way through Mm -hmm. Right. That came out so close to right after he died. Yeah. Even all the other ones. Right. Are you still down? Still I rise till the end of time. Better days. It's all his work. It is. And to me, that's what counts. It's not like someone put his name on something that they created. It's Tupac's work. And it's not the first artist that's done this or first, oh, hell no. first time an estate has released unreleased recordings. Like my favorite Nirvana song, You Know You're Right. That's your was favorite after Nirvana Kurt was song? Dead. One of them. Record have a Scratch. Whoa. We should dig into Nirvana sometime. Nirvana, huh? You think we should you think we should talk about them on a music podcast? I don't know. Mm-mm. <laughs> you know, you might be right. Because, <laughs> ah, nice. <laughs> That might be on my top five for Nirvana songs, too. Yeah. It's fucking awesome. And the story behind it, but you know what? We're not talking about Nirvana right now. We're not. I think the bigger question, instead of like, are we okay with posthumous, is why would Pac sit on all of this? Well, I think he saw... Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to live in the studio... Do you think this was his exit strategy? I don't think he gave a fuck. I think he was on a lot of weed, a lot of alcohol, and a lot of coke. I think he spent... 10 hours a day, a day in a studio. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean like most artists do that are rich. All right, I'm going in the studio. Let's record this shit. I'm been a bounce. When he traveled, he wanted a studio wherever he traveled so that he could go there after a show or just a dinner or whatever. He wanted a whole crew there. He wanted booze, weed, so that he could go in the studio and write. Like that's what he did. Yeah. And the reason that I'm so okay with Tupac's posthumous albums is because there is an interview with him where he's literally talking about his thought process of recording. He wants to get in the studio. He wants everybody drunk, high, fucked up, all the rappers doing their thing to whatever beat the producer makes. He doesn't think the rappers should even be in the fucking room when the producer, the Dre or the whoever is deciding what beat goes to the lyrics. Right. Let the producer add it. They are the producer. We are the ones that write the lyrics. They are the ones that know the music. That was kind of him giving permission to like, hey, you know these 
800 tracks that I've laid down because I spend 80 hours a week in the studio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, make it happen. Here's one for the conspiracy theorists, right? Ooh, I like it. Um, Tupac's still alive? We haven't even, we ta- haven't even How gotten we not there. talked about Tupac being... <laughs> yeah. I, was, I, was saving that. In Cuba. I was saving that for the end. <laughs> I think Tupac recognized that he needed to get out from under Suge Knight. The dude had a couple of successful acting gigs. God, we didn't even talk about that. We didn't that. even he talk about good. him as an actor. Juice. He was a and, really good uh, actor. Yeah. Okay, so I think that he realized he had a bigger future than being Suge Knight's. Yeah. He, he had a life after Death Row. He didn't want to give these albums to Suge. I'm going to stack up all these songs and keep them to myself. Mm-hmm. And then the first chance I get to break away from Death Row when I can get out clean, he made $60 million for them. And yeah, like, they did okay. It paid off everything that they had ever done for him and then more. This album alone, but- Tupac's Greatest Hits... Five million three hundred thirty thousand. Thank you. He sold a hundred and twenty-five million records. Yeah. People buy Tupac albums, ladies and gentlemen. He's sitting on these recordings. That's gonna bankroll his acting career or mm-hmm. starting his own label or whatever. But it's his exit strategy. Of course, after he dies, it's just all this vault of songs yeah. that are just sitting there. So somebody might as well release them. I like it. Prove me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Fly to that island, get Tupac, have him come here and say like, nope. That's my question. If you do think that Tupac's alive, where is he? Here's my problem <laughs> with that theory. There is no fucking way in hell that a guy like Tupac could have stayed quiet for this right? <laughs> There's no fucking way. First time in his life, he would have been that quiet. It would have been five days and he would have been like, get me in front of a fucking camera now. I got, I need, I need it. I, I want it. I think as much as he hated the media, he was fueled by it. The controversy oh, he, that they brought. Yeah. He loved hating them. He loved hating all the things that he hated. Drama. Yeah. And he loved conflict and he loved yeah. the battle. He made money he was a off soldier. of it. And I think that was 85% of the fucking East versus West yeah. Coast. It was an act to make fucking money. Yeah. You look at somebody like, what, is Snoop Dogg going to fucking go roll on somebody? Come on, man. <laughs> that fucking 80 pound <laughs> pot smoking dude. Ass, yeah. What are we doing here? Even Pac. Pac was a tiny They're guy. They're in the music video awards in front of 80,000 fucking white people being like east coast don't give a shit about west coast like come on what do we that's that's where you're being a badass it's very silly yeah i don't consider biggie's who shot you a diss track i know that some people even Pac, that was to him a clue that Biggie was involved in the shooting if you listen to all of it it's so much posturing it really is just it's just a show like really 13 year old dudes on a playground i'm gonna go beat that kid up i'm so mad like i'm, a, I'm gonna yeah. beat and it's like yeah 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 do it man and then you don't you don't fucking do it and if you do it lasted like three seconds and then you're yeah both done yeah right? there's a 50 50 shot too that fucking once a week biggie and tupac are on the phone like all right what are we doing this week what how are we keeping us relevant how are we making <laughs> You know, that's one thing we didn't talk about. We've talked a bit about the beef. We never really talked about their friendship because before the beef, they were friends. Okay. One of the reasons I think that Tupac and Biggie were so fucking perfect for the time. It was the right time. It was the right people. It was the right styles. Mm -hmm. Two people 
that had completely mastered their craft in two completely different ways. With two similar geographic origins, but two separate coming ups. Yeah. Right? This is what I'll say that goes with that. And it's funny because it, it sounds ridiculous, but people of our age, you have to have some form of opinion on who was better, Tupac or Biggie. I'll say this now. Tupac is my favorite rapper of all time. All time. He is my number one. And that's never going to change. Sorry, Kendrick. Sorry, Kendrick. I do love you, Kendrick. But if it wasn't for Tupac, there would be no Kendrick Mm. in in many ways. Mm -hmm. That said, I think Notorious B.I.G., as far as flow, was by far better than Tupac. No question. His syncopation, his pronunciation... Every word pounds you. Mm-hmm. To me, the difference is what he was saying. Yeah. The message. The actual. Yes. Tupac had a much more social conscious. Me- I mean, he rapped bitches and hoes. And that, this is where he I did. say, like, he's full of contradictions because, you know, have you ever seen the teens react videos on YouTube? Uh huh. Yeah. There's one where they. There's one on Tupac. There's one they react to Tupac. And I remember there's this girl. <laughs> they played, like, Ooh. I can't remember if it was Changes. Or Dear Mama, this teenage girl is just like, why aren't rappers like that today? He's he's speaking about real issues and he cares. And these are real, de- and, you know, I think the track that came on after that was like still ballin' or <laughs> I can't remember what it was. And then she was like, uh, and he also raps <laughs> yeah. about bitches and hoes. Yeah. He did the thing where he, when he'd be asked about it in interviews, he'd justify it by, well, there's a difference between bitches and hoes and it's in a literal sense and you're this and that. But the bottom line is, is he had to do that shit in order to build the character that he was trying to build in order to get him the platform where then he could speak about the social issues that were really at the root of what he wanted to deliver. It's just so weird that sometimes you have to go backwards to go forward. And it's also a sign of the times, a rapper coming out with something like that right now it wasn't like that back then. It just wasn't. That is what rappers said back then. If you go back and you listen to Eminem's first two albums. Oh, yeah. The homophobia and misogynistic. like The F oh. word and the R word three times a song. Yeah. He can't. Well, Eminem probably can still get away with that, but nobody else could. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, he kind of built his whole persona about around saying controversial things. So if he ever... Tell me not to say it so I can say it. Exactly. Yeah. If he ever yeah. stopped, I think that's when you know something went wrong with Eminem. And the other big problem is the people that have a problem with those lyrics, with what Tupac is saying, typically tend to be the demographic that why should Tupac give a fuck about those people? They're typically white. They're typically from places we're from. Yeah. Why should we get a say in what he says? Yeah. Maybe people like us from the Northwest should just shut the fuck up. I think, though, to be fair, he even, in his own words, talks about how females in L.A. and inner cities don't have the platform or the voice to even say anything about what's being said or decided about them. That's very true. We're kind of like teetering on this edge, this fine line of, I don't disagree with you. If someone's going to speak out about it, it shouldn't be two pale dudes in the Northwest. I agree. But that's kind of what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. This is stuff that we should talk about. We're not saying that it's right or wrong. I think... 
you, I know you enough to know that you're a lot like me and that I am the first person to say that I have no idea. I have no idea if what Tupac was saying was right or wrong mm -hmm. or if he should have or if he shouldn't or if certain songs should not be listened to. I am something that has never experienced 98% of the shit that he right. rapped about. Right. And I fucking love it. And that's the thing. That is how cool would it be to be able to just have a conversation with him and say, hey, I'm a white dude that was born in Boise, Idaho. I've had close relationships with people that could relate to music. I'm gonna say, like, I can't. If your conversation went beyond that sentence, I would have been so <laughs> impressed. He would have punched me in the face and he would have walked away. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I derailed you there on that. Thought, no, but, but that's a legit. <laughs> I would want to ask somebody like that. What do you think about somebody like me liking your music? Yeah. Do you like that Gosh, or does it piss you off? That's a really good question. You know, I've never asked that question. I have a feeling he'd say, I don't give a fuck. I didn't make it for I you. I do too. But I don't yeah. care if you like it or not. I think he would say, did you buy my album? <laughs> then yes, I'm okay with okay. it. Yeah. yeah, thank you. You're, you're one of the... <laughs> this is my fifth there's, swig of Hennessy. There's your so. excuse. Hey, look, this 40's mm -hmm. almost gone. But man, I must be drunk. Yeah. I want to circle back to flow because we touched on it a little bit, but I don't know if you're ready to go there. Yeah, let's do it. They were just working on just such complete different stratospheres. Tupac's level of education, and I think education and intelligence are separate. Mm -hmm. Tupac's level of education was higher, and I think his exposure to more of society and of the world. Different cultures. Yeah, gave him a perspective that fed that that view and his message, right? Yeah, that's a good point. Biggie, though, his raps are are clever. He's witty. He piles on the metaphors and entendres. There's just layers of shit. Like, he'll say something, and then, like, four lines later, he'll circle back, and then, like, oh, there's the metaphor. He grew up slinging rock in ghettos of New York City. He was in the biggest industry in the biggest city mm -hmm. ever at that time. Can you imagine being that young? That's basically a fucking sales apprenticeship. Yeah. Do you know how quick-witted you would learn how to be? Oh, yeah. To me, that's why he was such a good rapper, besides just the sound of his voice, which was just perfect. Oh, but yeah. He was in the biggest, best apprenticeship the of all time. And like the yeah. humor, even when he's being aggressive, he still works some humor and some like punchlines into it. It's very East West Coast. West Coast yeah. was it was all built on the straight into NWA the and yeah. fucking social justice, and we're tired of this shit. And East Coast was always predicated on let's have fucking fun with the shitty situation we're in. Pac was very literal. He didn't make metaphors. He didn't paint pictures with words. He said exactly what was on his mind. He thought it yep. and he said it. Because he studied jazz and ballet and he studied the arts, he had such great control over rhythm and articulation. Mm -hmm. In the studio, he was one of the few people that could deliver the same verse exactly the way he did the first time. Yeah. And you listen to the records where he has like Stretch or anyone else from his crew hop on and rap and the double, because they always doubled, you know, they, yeah. they'd record and then they record. The double for everyone else is way sloppier. It is. You listen and to Pac 
And it's, sometimes it's like, is that only one take? I have something awesome about this that I found out when uh, it was, who was the guy that did most of his production? Johnny J. Johnny, yep. Johnny J. Jackson. You will love this. One of the things that Tupac loved to do is he would write a song and he would go through it three times, all the way through. And the reason is, is because he could remember about 95% of the way that he was going to syncopate his raps. There were going to be like one or two per pass through misses on when the word's going to hit or the valor, that sort of thing. You would have two vocals exactly the way through basically the whole time. And then you would randomly have one vocal here and there just barely missing a vowel or a word in a different way. And that's why you would randomly hear one lyric extended on a word or something. Yeah. When I heard that, it made me so happy. <laughs> that's that's so fucking cool. That's insane. But that just means that the 700 fucking songs that he did, he did it 2100 fucking times. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's nuts. And that's so hard to do. So hard to do other genres of music where either you've got a score that you can read in front of you or it's more melodic so you have other cues to kind of help you with rhythm and syncopation mm -hmm. and especially since like he's a lot of times just rapping to a random beat a lot of the things that would normally be built into your instrumentals they're not there so like how do you just spit poetry exactly the same way three yeah. times in, you know 95 percent? that's just nuts let's take one more break We'll be right back to uh, cap this off for another half hour. Then we ride to the sun, come shining back to brighten up the sky. I mean, he died. The food chief was trying to do me. Look, bitch, I cut your face. This ain't no motherfucking movie. Then we watch the other two die slow. Cash traded in the tainted at my motherfucking sideshow. Bams in my planet mode. Time to exterminate my foes. I can't stand you, hoes. Now, ladies, we are back. My lyrics running all you cowards out of hip hop. Ben killed it. His 40 is gone. Gone. I'm right proud of him. I still have some Hennessy left. Very ashamed of myself. Different levels there, though. I think the percentage might be just slightly, <laughs> yeah, slightly higher. Quantity versus quality. Well, I mean, no offense, Peeber, but Hennessy is much better than you. But I have more. It's true. <laughs> We're back to talk a little more Tupac before we go. We've talked about the serious stuff. We've talked about the fun stuff. I want to talk a little bit of, you know me, Sven, you know how I am, you know mm. who I am. Mm -hmm. I want to talk a little bit of favorites with you. Okay. I, yeah. thought you were just ready to start giving out awards and shit. I don't even know. Because that's I, also you. I do, but you know what? Here's one thing that I, you know what a good tell on a, what a really, really fun episode is? I don't think that I've looked at my notes once yeah. since the very beginning. <laughs> I had to look a couple like, things up, but yeah. This has just we've been... We've just been talking. We've pretty much said, fuck the notes. And that's kind of when you know that it's yeah. going to be a fun yeah. episode. But I am going to ask you, now for the tough ones here, do you have a favorite Tupac album? Mm, I have three. Can you rank them? I can categorize them. So favorite album released during his life. Okay. All eyes on me. Okay. But I want to say that like Tupacalypse now was, it was kind of flip a coin to pick all eyes on me. I feel like Tupacalypse now had a clearer, cleaner message. Yeah. And speaks more to like the struggle of black people in inner cities that 
aren't given opportunities and he was really hammering that one home Agreed. on that out like the whole album i feel like he was trying to find an outlet because that was around the same time that he was working with digital underground who was more the fun he was a backup dancer right isn't that crazy he started out his career as a dancer i feel like that was his outlet of seriousness i can see where somebody that has a vision I'm sure he was extremely grateful to be part of Digital Underground. He was making money. But I think there's probably also something in that it was like, I have a vision for my own thing that I want out. I think that was all just that pent up. I've got bigger things to do here. Yeah. Real shit to talk about. Two of the songs that you still hear today, mm -hmm. California Love. Mm. Right? So that and two of America's Most Wanted are off of All Eyes on Me, which were like two of the biggest mainstream radio-friendly hits. I Ain't right? Mad At You was a big one, too. The reason that I kind of lean this way versus Tupacalypse is it's more recognizable. Mm -hmm. It's lasted. It's still up there with stuff that's getting released now. Yeah. Getting played right alongside. It's got Snoop Dogg. It's got Nate Dogg. It's a fucking powerhouse. And the thing about All Eyes on Me is it's a lot. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but he's got America's Most Wanted with Snoop Dogg. And before that is How Do You Want It? with It's fucking Casey and JoJo. Right. This weird almost love song kind of rap it's he's got george clinton on here he's got yeah. I mean, 27 songs so there's a lot more music than tupacalypse now it's an epic it's it's yeah. massive and it was also the last before he died by that yeah. time too he kind of started nailing down his flow absolutely and then posthumous until the end of the time i have to pick that because that was the album that i listened to the when i first got into tupac that was the one it was either most recent or second most recent. But overall, if I was to recommend, here's what you should go pick up if you want to get an overall mm -hmm. encompassing picture of Tupac. It's the two albums, the best of Tupac, part one and part two compilations. Okay. So it wasn't the greatest because there was one that was like the... Are you talking about the one, his back? Yeah. Like a picture of his yes. back on the album cover? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yep. Then there's part two, which is him like close up going like Dude, the praying, prayer, praying yeah. hands over his face. Sven, that is that is the cheatingest cheat that you've ever cheated. That is what do so you mean? I gave three <laughs> very good reasons and three very good purposes. That's a, so actually, it's insane. I feel super weird doing it. I don't like that I'm doing it. I hate that my favorite album of his isn't one that he actually released while he was alive. But honestly, three of my four favorite Tupac albums are posthumous albums. Yeah. To me, I think by far until the end of time is his best album. Yeah. If you are somebody that wants to give Tupac a chance or wants to buy one album, I think that's it. I've got a little bit of bias because there are a couple songs on there that just mean a lot to me as far as friends that I had in the Navy and some specific stories about those songs that really mean a lot. I'm going through the track list right now. It starts with Ballad of a Dead Soldier. Fucking killer song. Which, and you will never hear Tupac as the angry, violent Tupac, the grindy Tupac. It's the best of the best for that. Letter to My Unborn Child, Until the End of Time. This two of that has one of my favorite Tupac songs that I think didn't get a lot of play. When Thugs Cry. Oh, yeah. I don't know how Prince fans Look, deal with this. I feel like we've, have we established that rap is, rap 
just uses beats. Yeah. If I'm Prince, I'm complimented. A producer heard that, said, holy fuck, this is a beat. Somebody rapped it. And that's the birth of hip hop, right? (laughs) They they literally took records, (laughs) other people's records, found the instrumental break. Um, I have two stories that I want to tell about Tupac songs. My early life with Tupac, my introduction to Tupac. And I'll keep them short. First one, my mom and I hung out a lot with this couple that she worked with. uh, She worked at Albertsons as a checker. And my mom was a bit of a partier. She was friends with a couple of the only black people in Boise. And they had a daughter who went to my school who I'll probably have to edit some of this out, but I had a huge crush on her. She was extremely attractive. No. uh, Did you ever know? She was gorgeous. Damn. Gorgeous. How did I not know? So I loved when we got to hang out with them. Obviously, (laughs) the first time that I realized that hip hop was maybe a little bit better than everything. Her dad was in a freestyle contest that they had in a in a club in downtown Boise. What was the all ages club in Boise? Joe's bogeys. Why do I feel like bogeys? Yeah, there's bogeys. And it's kind of, it's really big. Yeah. Yes. Bogeys. Yeah. We went there and it was the first time I'd ever been anywhere. I was like fucking 16 years old, something like that. And I walk in with her. I'm in a fucking club. First time in my life, I'm like, holy shit, there's like adults here drinking. I felt like so fucking cool. It cuts out of that, the whatever song was playing when I walked in. And then the next song is California Love. Ah, fucking blast. Nuts. All I know is that it came on and it fucking hit me. Oh, so this is the coolest music that there is in the world. Okay, I get it. You know what I love about that song? Now, when you go to a bar or a club and it comes on, you can tell who is over 30. <laughs> Those are the people that go nuts. And all like the college kids are like, where's the auto tune? <laughs> <laughs> fucking T-Pain. Oh, shit. We never talk about T-Pain and his stupid fucking comment about Tupac getting lyrically murdered. We didn't. Nowadays. That's a good segue. T-Pain and his little T-Pain way. Someone asked him about Tupac, and he's mm-hmm. now Tupac would have gotten killed a lot sooner, but Tupac would have gotten lyrically murdered. My gut reaction when I heard that was fucking T Pain. Who the hell? You haven't been relevant since you <laughs> fucked up Autotune for the yeah. whole industry. Can I tell you a dirty little secret, Sven? I kind of like T Pain. Well, that's okay. I like T Pain. It doesn't make too. any sense. It makes no sense. Yeah, no, whatsoever. I, I'm a T Pain fan as far as like I even said this in Sven's Funhouse. I love Auto Tune when it's used to the max like that. I like what he did for yeah. it, even though it really did fuck it up for a lot of people. Oh, it did. <laughs> they yeah. were using it on yes. the down low. Not like he was the first person to do it. You can blame Cher. I think Cher was the first person that really oh, yeah. fucked it for yeah. everyone. But like. <laughs> But still, when T-Pain made this comment, it had already been like years since his last actual release that got any, like when he said Pac would have gotten murdered, lyrically murdered nowadays by the rappers out there. He would have got ate up. Would have gotten ate up. Yeah, (laughs) I get it. Rappers have built upon what the godfathers of rap laid down. 
I think that's fair to say. You just said it. Yeah. Thanks to the godfathers that they... Exactly. That's like saying Howlin' Wolf would have gotten fucking eaten up by Jimmy Page. Yeah. What the fuck are you talking yeah. about? Like, yeah. That's my... That's have my, him as an influence. Yeah. It's him. It's Biggie. Depending on which generation and what rapper you are, you have Sven, like you know this, what? Yeah. I like Muddy Waters and all. Fucking Jimi Hendrix would have just... Like, what the fuck are we... So what yeah. are we talking about? To me, that is one of the dumbest fucking quotes. That's so yeah. fucking stupid. I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt because I'm Mr. Positive on this podcast. <laughs> I think what T-Pain was trying to say is that rap has evolved since 1996. At the same time, there are definitely rappers now that would have also gotten lyrically murdered by rappers in 96. Pac is your favorite. And sorry, Kendrick yes. Lamar. If the two of them got in a freestyle battle, that's a different arena. Well, yeah. If it, well, that's a good point, too, is there's different stuff. I think if anybody gets in a freestyle arena with Eminem, they're going to lose. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Like, well, that's Eminem. It, we don't talk. It, he does not. He doesn't get included because <laughs> he's a fucking tetris master he's a lyrical tetris i like master. that what the fuck are we talking about ah who cares uh fucking t-pain do you have a favorite tupac song i do i i came up with a top six. Oh, you did i, I think you wanted a top five i usually do the top yeah. five okay but i came well, up with a top six disclaimer that the top three are all interchangeable they might as well be ties I like it but i'll start from number six Okay. Number six for me is still ballin'. Mm. Because to me, it's one of the best examples of his cadence and his flow. If you were a rapper wanting to figure out how to rap like Tupac, yes. I would say go listen to Still Ballin' and first, use that as like a template. One of my favorite lines from him of all time is the first lines of only thing promised to me was the penitentiary. I like how you blank. That's another thing is I don't. That's why neither one of us picked strictly for my. Yes, exactly. And here's a good lighthearted question for you, Sven. Mm -hmm. You listen to a lot of music in your house. So do I. Mm -hmm. Have you had to have the conversation with your kids yet about what that word is? I have not. I haven't They're either. They're four and six. The four year old psh, over his head. F bombs go right over his head. Yeah. Uh, the six year old picks up on the cuss words. Yeah. And it's probably my fault because I use them in real life sometimes. I'm I am mm -hmm. not ready to have that conversation. I love that song. You know what else I love about that song is the beat. The beat's a little bit cheesy. Yeah. But the way that Tupac raps, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It makes it badass. Yeah. He delivers the perfect performance and it's like i don't yes. care producer whatever beat you want to put it to it's still gonna kill yes yeah. that could be a whole fucking episode yeah. people like uh, what non-black people are supposed to think and feel about listening to songs that have that word in it how that conversation should go with your kid there is so much that can be talked about as far as that word Mm -hmm. I don't know if you knew this, Sven, but it's used a lot in rap. It's used a ton in rap. <laughs> I think it depends on your close circle or like the community that you're currently participating in. I think the tolerance for yeah. that usage varies. Most of us should just err on the safest side and just uh, Oh, absolutely. Use it. absolutely. <laughs> right. It's hard to get around because look, Tupac very frequently used, I mean, Tupac used that word in every fucking song. 
Yeah. But one of the things that was awesome that he did was he would end lines with that word over and over and over and it sounded amazing what they want from us motherfucking thug niggas used to love niggas now i plug niggas it's love niggas in my room niggas so it's not like we're we're not just having a generic rap conversation i mean tupac was very big on using that word yeah okay well we got through your sixth favorite <laughs> You know, I was going to say that, it like, took also to minutes. your point about, like, him rhyming that word with that word. He is one of the only rappers that I feel like can rhyme a word with itself. I still appreciate it because the way he does it, it doesn't feel like a shortcut or it's not cheap. It's not like yeah. I ran out of words. So, yeah, we got through number six. We did. We it. haven't even gotten to my top five. <laughs> this is Hail Mary. Come That's with good. me. Yeah, I, I don't know how many times this week that I've just been with that number four hit him up oh okay the diss track i don't like the intent behind it because i feel like it the consequences of it fucked everything for rap in the late 90s and made the whole war and oh it's just like how can i not like something where you hear that much raw emotion yes project through a microphone like yeah it's it's ah he got and shot fucking like, five times, and this is him saying to who he thinks shot him, fuck you, come back and do it again, because... Um, the next three, though, might as well be ties. They're all three, I'm going to say changes. One of the most impactful songs. Yeah. A lot of people know that one. It speaks to social issues that we're still stuck with today. Number two, Dear Mama. Ah, that's good. I This one, we had our differences... We had our own struggles, unique struggles. In the end, I, I felt like after I heard Tupac's song, I was like, yeah, shit. You know, what? I owe, I owe a lot to my mom. Dear Mama is my number two. Number one, and it's also currently one of my favorites, got the, the line that's Ooh. my favorite lyric, um, keep your head up. Yeah. Since a man can't make one, he has no right to tell a woman where to create yeah. one. That's your Wow, yeah. that's your favorite Tupac song. It is my favorite Tupac song. Yeah. I unintentionally also had six Tupac songs on here. Yeah. Dirty Dozen. I'll read them too. My number six is Letter to My Unborn Child. I love that. It's exactly what it says it is. Powerful. Yeah. yeah. Tupac is saying, yeah, I know I'm going to die before my kid grows up. What makes you a real man kind of stuff is in there. It's good. My number five, this is interesting. We haven't talked about this yet, but my number five is when we ride on our enemies. Ah. He calls out the Fugees on this song. Mob Deep. Yeah. And Mob Deep did some shit talking, didn't he? I don't know. I feel like if I was in the Fugees, I'd be scared shitless. <laughs> Like, yeah. yeah, so I Get Around is my next one, and it's not even, the song is exactly what it sounds like. It's basically just about women. But the fucking beat is unreal, and it's fun, and it's, it is the side of Tupac that is more not so, I'm going to die and I'm going to kill. My third favorite song, which I think I've listened to the most, is Running. Uh, or in parentheses, dying to live. Yeah. Which, for those of you that want the perfect juxtaposition, the first verse is Notorious B.I.G., the second verse is Tupac. It gives you the best side-to-side -side comparison of just what makes them both so different and amazing. Yeah. The lines of the hook, why am I fighting to live if I'm just living to fight? 
Why am I trying to see when there ain't nothing in sight? Why am I trying to give when no one gives me a try? Why am I dying to live if I'm just living to die? Yeah. His hooks are all over the place sometimes. Sometimes there wasn't even a hook in the song. Mm -hmm. When he got one like that, it was fucking brilliant, man. Uh, My number two, we already talked about Ballad of a Dead Soldier. Mm. It's just such angry, raspy Tupac. And I love it. And then my number one for multiple reasons, this song means a lot to me and I'm not going to get into it. And that is the song until the end of time. Mm. For those of you that have not heard this song, cause it is, it's, it's like the last track on what's the fucking wait. The album's until the end of time. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Title. But it's the very last track. <clears throat> Who did the take, take these broken wings song? Broken Mr. Wings. Mr. Yeah. So it's that song but produced as a hip-hop song. Even if it doesn't mean anything to you, you go listen to that song and you think of Tupac dying and moving on. It's fucking incredible. Forgive me for my life of sin. My hard stare seems to scare all my sister's kids. Ain't flash a smile in a long while. Like it's There's just, something about like that. It's almost like describing PTSD. Yes. And yeah. I've always Absolutely. felt like the song was more relatable than just from like inner city gangster perspective. Yeah. yeah. I don't think we know what Tupac is. I think that's the beauty of Tupac. Yeah. He wasn't some great man. In a lot of aspects, he was a fucking piece of shit. He was a scrawny motherfucker with a loud mouth that also had a conscience, but also wanted to like be the opposite of that conscience. There's a little he Tupac a in all of us, I think. We all have those yes. moments. No, we are all that contradiction yeah. of ourselves. Yeah. And that's what I fucking love so much about Tupac. Yeah. Last question of the night, Sven. God, this has been a f- really fun fucking episode. I needed this. I needed this, this awesome. fun episode. Yeah. It's been a stressful week. <laughs> it's been a stressful time in the pod. I needed this so I started bad. the night by saying how tired I was, and right now I'm like, I'm wide awake. Uh, I'm about to go listen to some Tupac yeah, is what I'm right? about to do. Sven, is Tupac on your Mount Rushmore of rappers? I think maybe, yeah, I guess I could start it with Tupac and then see who else I add. If I have Tupac, then I got to add Biggie. And then, like, I don't know who else I have to add. Yeah, I don't think I could narrow it down to just four, but he's up there. So, okay, short answer, simple answer, yes. Gotcha. He's my favorite rapper of all time for sentimental sake and for, you know, we were talking about Biggie and Tupac, and we were talking about flow versus message. And I am the type of person that I'm always going to go with message first. Yeah. Versecoursefirst.com at versecoursefirstpod. This is the most fun I've had doing an episode in a really long time. <laughs> Sven, you are my brother. Yeah. Thank you for doing Tupac with me. This actually, this was fantastic. <laughs> I'm going to go listen to some more Pac. <laughs> I think I am And then too. I'm going to tomorrow start listening to a bunch of big Yes, I am too. Even myself out. Join us next week. Uh, it's just me. All by myself. You remember how I'm looking for the best band of all time and my favorite band of all time? Well, I'm doing it again next week everybody if i've got four new groups this man that we talked about tonight may or may not be included in that episode he totally is included we'll catch you on the youtubes huh yeah we go over to youtube at verse scores verse pod on the youtube we're doing okay on the subscribers actually i think we have like over 250 we're doing okay for we're getting there i love y'all 
You guys are amazing. Oh, Thank you so much for listening. Good night and good luck. Oh, Stay right by your side